listening to the Bible Brush Up podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Crawford, coming to you from Living Water Church in Plattsmouth, Nebraska, where we are currently going through a reading plan of the wisdom literature in Scripture. And we have entered into a new book, the book of Job. We've finished the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and uh, now we are in the book of Job, our final book in this series. And the book of Job is one that we are pretty familiar with, at least the character. Even non-Christians who don't read the Bible know about Job and his suffering. But the book of Job has a lot of content. It's a pretty long book, and there is a midsection there that many of us probably couldn't quote a verse from, and we couldn't tell you uh, what is happening in the middle of the book. We're pretty privy to the beginning and the end if we're Bible readers and Bible students, but uh, that middle section can be kind of troubling. And we're not even going to talk about that mostly today. That will be for another podcast, Uh, but we do want to introduce the book today and give a description of Job, of summary, and provide a reason, rationale for why this book exists. And we'll start by telling you what Job is. It's a theodicy of suffering. Uh, We find out in the book of Job why people suffer. And this is very comparable to the books of Habakkuk and the book of James. Both of those books exist to discuss the topic of suffering. Uh, Habakkuk, which was a part of an earlier reading plan we looked at, and in that book, the prophet is concerned about why nations more evil than Israel are being used to bring judgment on Israel. Why should Israel have to suffer in this way if the people attacking them are actually more evil than Israel themselves. So that's the question that he's wrestling with. And James brings up suffering in the New Testament context. And people in every walk of life, no matter what their um, beliefs are, they all wonder why is there suffering? Why is it this way? Why do people die? Why do good people die? Why do bad people live? Um, There are so many questions related to suffering. And Job gives us a glimpse at least one aspect of why suffering takes place. And um, this idea is important for the Israelites because they live within a context of a covenant with God that often is articulated in what has been defined as the retribution principle. And so that is a principle that says you get what you deserve. If you're faithful to God, you do the right thing, then you'll get a righteous person's reward. But if you're evil and wicked, you'll be punished. And that is the belief system that is expressed throughout many of the Proverbs and and many of the um, statements in the Torah where God is talking to Moses and telling them that if they want to live in the promised land, they need to do the right thing and God will protect them and bless them and they'll be prosperous Um, Many of those verses have become the basis for the prosperity gospel today. It's why many churches uh, do that name it and claim it thing, say live right, do the right thing, and God will make you rich, wealthy, and everything else you want, Uh, which is ripping something out of its context and applying it in a situation that's not appropriate, and that's terrible hermeneutics, but that's outside of the scope of what we're talking about today. However, in the story of Job, we have the same type of thing going on. And Job's friends even show up and they rebuke Job. Um, In Job 4-7, we have one of Job's friends replying to Job's lament over his circumstances and all the suffering that he's going through. And he says this, Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? And as you read through his friend's statements, they often 
go back to this retribution principle that if you do the right thing, then God will reward you. So even if you don't even know what your sin is, Job, you must be doing something bad or else you would not be suffering in this way. And that was a very easy belief system to fall into, especially as a Jewish person within the covenantal context of the Mosaic Covenant, um, because there was indeed a degree of truth to that retribution principle. But I think what Job is getting at here is that even though generally speaking that principle is true, there are times where suffering comes outside of the scope of your own behavior, and it's not always a one-to-one correlation. And uh, the book of Habakkuk and James also point to that as well. And so Job here goes through some intense suffering in the first couple of chapters. He loses his family. Uh, he loses his um, wealth. He loses his own health. And all of this comes from God, in a sense. It, it is brought out by this figure that is often rendered Satan. But uh, God has allowed this to happen. And God's the one who even brings up Job in the first place. Um, so we start out the book with this heavenly courtroom scene, and this brings a lot of questions to my mind. It's like, why is there a courtroom in heaven to begin with? Because we have the sons of God gathering together, and then we have the Satan show up. And I call him the Satan, and that's important because the article, the, is actually there in the Hebrew. And in fact, there are many scholars who believe that this is not referring to a name. In fact, it would not be referring to a name since the word the is there. Um, this is referring to a position or a role. And so we have the Satan, or if it makes you feel a little more comfortable, we could call him the accuser. And that word is used in various places. Sometimes we don't even see it because it's masked uh, in translation. If you read Numbers 22, 22, where we have the episode of God talking through a donkey um, to Balaam, if you read that passage, it says, but God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Well, the word adversary there is Satan. It literally reads that God... The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his Satan. Um, so just to give you a, a glimpse of how that word is used, there are many other places where we can find it. And sometimes it's translated adversary. Sometimes it's translated as accuser, or it can be even used in the form of a verb. In fact, in Numbers, if you just move down 10 verses in verse 32, it uses it like a verb. It says, And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you. That's to Satan you. Okay, It's the exact same word. Satan, I guess is how you would pronounce it in the Hebrew. Um, but Nonetheless, it's the same word that's used in Job. And so we sometimes make an error by taking everything we know already in the New Testament and making that um, information a part of our interpretive process for these Old Testament texts. And while I do think there is a proper way of doing that, and I think it's not wrong to even view this figure as Satan, 
Um, we just have to understand that in the original setting, as these things are being written, the Jewish audience may have not known everything that we know now, and so we shouldn't make the assumptions about their response and what all's going on like we do. And there are things that we don't know, too. Like I said, this is describing a heavenly courtroom scene, and we have a Satan figure there. Um, the questions that may pop up is, why is Satan in heaven? Um, that's a good question. Uh, if it's just a role and it's not the person Satan, then it would actually be easy to explain why this person is in heaven. Some have suggested that this is a replacement for Satan, that the word Satan comes from the character Satan because he was the first prosecutor in God's courtroom. And so many of the roles that we would see in a current courtroom situation, you would have a defendant, you would have a prosecutor, and perhaps God had created this office that was intended to seek out whether or not someone was righteous, whether or not they had pure motives, uh, so on and so forth. And when Satan, the devil, we could call him, failed and was kicked out of heaven, then a replacement prosecutor was instated. Um there, that has its own set of problems. Um, for one, what would a prosecutor's job be before the fall of man, since there is no sin? Um, but I certainly could buy into the argument that a prosecutor of sorts is a part of a heavenly court that God has created. And we see that term pop up again later on in Zechariah chapter 3, where the Satan, the Satan, is accusing the high priest Joshua, and it's in a courtroom setting. So if I was pressed to make an interpretive decision on all this right now without uh, any more thought put into it, I would say that the Satan is the character Satan that we come to know as the devil um, who was created with some duty that is related to prosecution or finding fault and Maybe it's even part of the reason why he tempted Adam and Eve. Maybe he was bored in his job. I don't know. I couldn't find any fault in anybody, so he wanted something to do. He created fault so that he could find fault and he could bring someone down. And that's been what he's done ever since is he has gone about accusing and finding fault. And he continues to do that. Why is he able to go uh, and to be in the presence of God um, maybe just to be brought in for this session. He doesn't live in heaven any longer. He is no longer dwelling in heaven. But when the courtroom is in session, I don't know why we need a courtroom. God knows everything. He knows who's right. He knows who's wrong. And so the whole idea doesn't make sense to me, but it's certainly there in the scripture. Uh, and if it's not just some artistic way of describing something, if it's based in historical reality, then we know that there is a courtroom setting and the prosecutor is brought in before God, the judge, and is to bring up the accusations. And God says, have you considered? You've been walking back and forth on the earth, not in heaven. You haven't dwelled in heaven. You're walking back and forth on the earth. And have you considered Job? And apparently... The Satan, the accuser, had considered Job, and so he brings his accusation because God seems to indicate that Job is a righteous man and the accuser has a different opinion. And he points out that Job would curse God to his face. He believes that Job would curse God to his face if 
God were to take away the benefits and blessings uh, that he has bestowed upon Job. And this gives us uh, somewhat of a foreshadowing of the end of the book. The fact that he says he's going to curse him to his face means that at some point Job is going to come face to face with God and have the opportunity to curse him to his face. And spoiler alert, if you haven't read through the book all the way yet, which you probably haven't because our reading plan is still going, um, God never gets cursed to his face by Job. Job does make some curses. Uh, when we get to his first response in chapter 3, Job curses the day of his birth. So he's in the cursing mood, but it's not towards God. He does not curse God. And when he meets him face to face, he certainly does not curse God. Um, but Job does feel the intense suffering that comes from God's permission and the accuser's aggression towards Job in bringing about this prediction. And so Job loses it all, and this is all to test him. And the thing is, Job never gets to know all of this. You and I have the benefit of reading why Job is going through the suffering. Job, even at the end, even after God talks to him, and even after God restores Job, Job never, in the record at least, gets any glimpse of why he went through that suffering, which is a reminder to us. And I think is one of the main purposes of the book is we will go through suffering sometimes. And if we have sinned greatly and we've run from God, I'm, I'm preaching through Jonah right now at church, and we see a direct correlation between Jonah's sin and the punishment. Um, so sometimes we get punished for our sin. But if, if we're living in righteousness and we're repenting of our sins and we're turning to God, we're trying to be faithful um, as it seems that Job was doing. If we're living a life like that and suffering comes our way, there's no reason for us to start to suspect that there's some hidden evil in our lives because sometimes our suffering occurs for other reasons. And we get to look behind the curtain here and see what's happening in heaven. Perhaps you uh, are a part of God's greater plan and your suffering leads to greater victory. Perhaps your suffering it has been brought about so that God can bring restoration later on and bring about uh, his own glory through that. That's what we see in the Gospels where a man is healed by Jesus and when they asked was this a result of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus said neither. He's, he's here for the glory of God. He's suffered this for God's glory. We never know what the purpose of the suffering is, but we know that it comes in various waves and some more intense than others. But when it comes, we never should turn our aggression towards God and blame God and curse God. Um, that would be a fault, a, a major fault. That would be something worthy of additional suffering if we were to ever do. Uh, but Job doesn't do that, and it is um, there in the Scripture to remind us of how our response should be when suffering comes. And though a lot of attention throughout literature and, and podcasts and um, movies and whatnot have all focused a lot of attention on this Satan figure that we've spent some time talking about today, he's not the main character. He's not really that important to the story. Uh, we do see this conversation take place early on that sets up the rest of the book. 
But there's never an I told you so moment at the end of the book. If this was a showdown between God and Satan, if that's what the purpose of the book was, then there would be an I told you so moment at the end, and there never is. Um, there is no victory over Satan in the end of this book, which means that his part to play is very insignificant. Now, when we get to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, we see a conclusion there. We see Satan being defeated, and that's important because he has been a significant figure in the totality of human history from the fall all the way to the end. But in this particular book, what he contributes is very small and insignificant. I think we make too much out of it by making him this evil satanic figure that's just out to destroy human life and human flourishing. Um, I think his part to play is very insignificant. We need to focus most of our attention on the characters that matter. And those characters being Job, his friends, and God. Those are the main characters with most importance being placed on God himself. That's what the Bible is primarily about. And that's what the book of Job is primarily about. And that's what our suffering is primarily about. So the next time you suffer, turn your attention to God and make him the main character. We're going to stop there for today, and we will pick up here next time on the Bible Brush Up Podcast. Mm-hmm.